your ride ready for spring driving with Dobbs Spring Break Deals. Money saver deals you can use on Goodyear, Pirelli, Cooper, Michelin, and General Tires. Expert auto service, too. Click on GoToDobbs.com for spring break deals now. Cheap, cheap, fun, fun. Spring is in the air and Dirt Cheap is in your neighborhood ready to deliver the perfect drinks to your doorstep. That's right. All of Dirt Cheap's convenient locations now offer delivery of their wide selections of beers, wines, and all the spirits you need. And if you're like me, nothing hits better in the springtime than a nice weeded bourbon. Ask the friendly staff at Dirt Cheap about their selection of weeders like Maker's Mark, Larceny, and so many others. Download the Dirt Cheap app and order curbside or delivery. Have fun, but be careful out there. ESPN, the Cardinals and the Pirates getting set for opening day in St. Louis. And we go to the Broad and Crouppen celebrity line and a great St. Louis and a person who knows opening day in St. Louis very well is Bob Costas, who joins us here on 101 ESPN. Bob, it's always great to talk to you. How are you? Hey, Randy. How are you? Everything's good. And congratulations on the new gig at CNN. I've always enjoyed when people get you on to get your takes. and Now you're going to be a regular. Tell us about what you're going to be doing at CNN. Well, actually, I've been on many times with Mm -hmm. them over the past few months. And Jeff Zucker, who began his career right out of Harvard as the researcher for me and Bryant Gumbel at the 1988 Seoul Summer Olympics, and then became the head of all of NBC Universal. So first he was running to get me coffee and hand me notes, and then everybody in the company was working for him (laughs) for a number of years. For a long time now, he's run CNN, so it was a natural thing uh, for him to say, hey, why don't you come over? So uh, we just made it official this past week, and I guess they announced it yesterday. Well, congratulations, Bob. We can't wait to see Thanks. you in action. But, you know, we're here on, on Cardinals opening day, and you know very well what a a big day this is here in St. Louis. It's really a holiday. But can you put in perspective to us what it's going to be like for you to watch a Cardinals home opener without the pomp and circumstance and pageantry that's usually assigned with a Cardinals opening day? Yeah, we can only guess what it's going to feel like. Um, you're absolutely right, of course, that opening day in St. Louis is unlike opening day anywhere else. But I, my thought is that they ought not overplay it. It's just going to ring hollow if they try to replicate the feeling that usually prevails because it's about almost a civic holiday. Uh, it's usually, not always, it's often a day game. Not always, now that I think of it. Uh, but You know, people mark it as a special day. And without the fans in the stands, it's just not going to feel the same. You know, you bring all the Hall of Famers back. Many of them should be social distancing or isolating. Some of them are older. Uh, You bring them back. They put on their red jackets. Who are they waving to? Each other? (laughs) You know, I think we ought to just recognize this as a one-off in every respect for Major League Baseball overall and for the Cardinals. Bob, that's what we hope is that it's a one-off. But uh, from what you've observed over the last four months, do you think, or do you, do you have the perception that somehow this will change sports forever? And if so, how? I don't know if it'll change it forever. I think it'll have an effect even beyond when the crisis subsides, and who knows when that is. Nobody wants to be a doomsayer. I think most people are assuming that. This year's seasons, including the NFL, which is not far off, but their season obviously overlaps the period of time in the fall and winter when most of the experts say there's likely to be yet another surge. People know that the baseball season, the basketball season, and the hockey season have already been 
impacted, and the NFL season likely will as well, not to mention college sports. But I guess there's a widespread assumption that things will return to normal next year. I think the answer to that is maybe, and we hope. But let's say it does, which is the answer to your question. Let's say it does return to normal. They play a 162-game baseball season. They have spring training. The gates are open. Fans can attend. I don't think it'll happen right off the bat that everybody's going to say, here we go. First of all, sadly, a lot of people are going to have their discretionary income greatly reduced. It's already happened. So that will impact entertainment and things uh, that people ordinarily do uh, that now are going to give way to only essentials. And even if someone sounds the all clear, a lot of people are going to say, nah, not right away. I'm not going to go to the movies. I'm not going to go to concerts. I'm not going to go to ball games until I'm absolutely certain. So in that sense, even if everything returns to normal in terms of the schedule for sports, uh, I don't think that the, uh, uh, the social distancing part of it is going to subside automatically. Bob, as we return to this unusual season in 2020, as the major sports get back in action, which one do you think is going to be most successful from not only a health and safety standpoint, but from an entertainment standpoint? Well, we know that the NFL is the colossus ascribed not only all of sports, but all of American entertainment. It's the single most important and profitable thing in all of television, not just sports television, which brings me to my point. Every league is going to be impacted by the absence of fans, or I hear that some NFL teams are thinking about, well, maybe we can put 15,000 fans on the stands, maybe, maybe, fingers crossed. They're all going to take a hit in terms of game day receipts and concessions and all that sort of thing. But the NFL is the one positioned to recoup most of those uh, funds because they're network television contract is so massive and as everybody knows there's no difference between what kansas city or green bay gets out of the networks than what new york chicago or los angeles gets so if the nfl is able to play not only will they make a whole lot of money out of it but i think people will watch uh, the once a week for your team the gambling the fantasy aspects the time of the year if underline if in capital letters and underline it 10 times because I'm very skeptical. If they're able to play a full season or a substantial portion of it, I think the NFL from a monetary standpoint is the one that stands to do best. And it seems like, Bob, at least my opinion is, that if I'm an NFL player, I'm going to be skeptical with their history of the way that they care about or don't care about the health and well-being of their players. If I'm an NFL player, I'm really skeptical of the NFL owners sending me to training camp and into games. Yeah, and they put out a list of demands, in effect, and at least one of them. I may have missed something in the last 24 hours, but the NFL has agreed to at least one of them. No preseason games, and the players want kind of a phased training camp, come in, strength and conditioning, then modified practices, uh, trying to minimize contact, etc. But just think about the very nature of the game. Under these circumstances, the size of the rosters, the fact that you can't put 32 teams in a bubble and play the season, baseball and football aren't able to do that. Hockey and basketball are because they're only trying to complete what they already started and go essentially right into the playoffs. How in the world are you going to play a football season 
and considering the size of the rosters and the nature of the game, with constant significant contact on every play, how are you going to get from point A to point Z in an NFL season? There's a zillion needles to thread. And even if we grant them best intentions and best medical expertise and best protocols, man, <laughs> that's a lot to get through for this to succeed. Ford Brick Award winner Bob Costas with us in Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. And I want to swing back to opening day because one of the things that you and I both believe is the, the part of the wonder of baseball is that it is a marathon and it's not a sprint. You determine over 162 games who is the best team. Bob, over the course of 60 games, what intrigues you about a season like this and the fact that it is a sprint rather than a marathon? Yeah. Roster depth, especially pitching depth, this isn't like a unique insight from me. Uh, Pitching depth is going to be very, very important. Uh, We all know that the number of innings averaging by starters over the last few years is very much down from what it used to be. It's going to be down further. Uh, That Tampa Bay Rays strategy of going with openers instead of designated starting pitchers, you're going to see more and more of that. And it's likely that players, many of them, will not be fully in regular season shape when this starts. So depth of rosters is going to matter. You're also going to have, in addition to the normal injuries, you're going to have a certain number of players, who knows how many, uh, but a certain number of players who will test positive. They'll be sidelined. Others have opted out. Maybe some will opt out. You know what's something that is kind of under the radar? There are players... Not, maybe not a whole lot, but some who, short of 60 games, just need a certain number of games to reach service time plateaus that make them eligible for arbitration or whatever it might be, uh, pensions, whatever it might be. I think you may see some players putting in the number of games necessary and then opting out after that. So it's going to be a scramble in terms of rosters. And the teams that have the greatest depth not only among the 30 that they designate for any given game, but among the 60 or so within the organization. Those are the teams, I think, that will fare the best. Do you have any teams specifically in mind, Bob, that you think are well-positioned for this 60-game season? I think the Cardinals are actually in pretty good shape. The loss of Jordan Hicks doesn't help, of course, but I think they're in, in pretty good shape. That division outside of the Pirates is extremely competitive. You know, the Reds are kind of a trendy pick. Uh, because people like to pick teams that have been under the radar, and they've certainly improved themselves. Uh, but when you just look at the rosters themselves, I think the Yankees having added Garrett Cole, the Dodgers who had the strongest team to begin with, and their pitching is especially strong, strongest team in the National League to begin with. I think the Dodgers and the Yankees may be obvious choices, but they're pretty good choices. Bob, as a TV guy, would that be good for baseball to have the Dodgers and the Yankees, especially in a season like this in the World Series? Yeah, I guess it would. But again, everything is without the normal ambiance. You know, it's Yankee Stadium, Dodger <laughs> Stadium. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Right. I don't know. None of us know. No. When, when I say that, when I say that with a chuckle, it doesn't mean I'm not anxious for it to happen. Yeah. I want to see it. Sure. I want to see that. I want to see that in a parking lot. Uh, so at least at the outset, I think people will tune in out of curiosity. And if their teams do well enough to be uh, in the hunt for playoff spots, then I think they'll stick with it. 
Bob, Michelle and I have started a book club here on the show. And oh, our first, really? Yeah, mm-hmm. and the first book that the listeners chose for us was Three Nights in August. And I know you're very familiar with Buzz Bissinger and obviously yeah. Tony and Dunk. And one of the things that we talked about this week was the intensity of Tony LaRusso and Dave Duncan. I know that you were around them in spring training on a very intimate level one time. You helped manage the team. But can you go back to covering Tony, especially in playoffs or being around Tony and Duncan, the intensity that they brought on a daily basis? They were one intense duo. Intense is absolutely the word. And I know, Randy, that you heard this and perhaps Michelle did, too. When you'd say to Tony LaRussa, how you doing? His answer always was, I'll tell you about 10 o'clock tonight, meaning when the game was over. You know, he lived. You talk about something, live, eat, sleep, a certain thing. He was baseball through and through. Uh, There was nothing on his radar, pretty much, except for baseball. Uh, Maybe a few months in the offseason. But apart from that, he was laser focused on it. Uh, He's a very intelligent guy, long before analytics. And you know what? In fairness, Whitey Herzog was like this, too, and so was Earl Weaver in Baltimore, keeping their own little charts and and information files in longhand. Tony wanted all the information he could possibly get. Uh, Billy Bean and the Moneyball crew in Oakland rightly get a lot of of the credit for pioneering that revolution. But even before that, Sandy Alderson and the A's, when Tony managed that team— They were a progressive organization, so he was an information hound. He wanted to make sure that there wasn't a single stone left unturned. If he could give his team, if he and Dave Duncan could give their team one half of 1% better chance to win a given game, they would go the extra mile to do that. I mean, he understood that over the course of 162, maybe a manager can screw up a handful of games or maybe he he can help to win a handful of games. And he was looking at that handful at all times. Bob, I want to circle back to something Randy mentioned. You managed a spring training game. How did that shake out for you? Well, it was my 40th birthday, and there were a number of surprises uh, for me, one of which was I was coaxed to show up. I was in Arizona, and I was coaxed to show up at an Oakland A's spring training game, and I didn't need much coaxing. <laughs> I was happy to go, and I, and Tony and I were already friends. And when I show up and say hello at the batting cage, LaRusso says, go into the clubhouse and get a uniform. And my first thought is, Mark McGuire or Jose Canseco's uniform is going to be a little loose on me. (laughs) Whose uniform do you have in mind? But luckily, they had a utility guy named Mike Gallego, who wore number 13. And the uniform fit pretty well. So now I come out. I'm in uniform. I'm hitting fungos, you know, I'm throwing BP. Faye Vincent, who was then the commissioner, was there. He got a huge kick out of it. Uh, and there were some TV people and, and newspaper people there, so they wrote about it. So I sit next to La Russa in the dugout and talk about intensity, going back to your last question. It's a spring training game. This guy is bearing down as if he's sitting across from a chess master at the World Championships, you know? And I realize this isn't a moment-by-moment thing. This isn't... Do we hit and run? Do we steal? Do we sacrifice? Do we pull the pitcher? His view of the game changed on every pitch. A 1-1 pitch that became 2-1 and or 1-2 and changed his view of the whole situation. And I'm thinking to myself, I guess I knew this, but sitting next to him, this is mentally exhausting. Doing this for three hours, you know, you think you have to bear down for three hours when you're calling a game, and you really do have to bear down. People don't realize how 
how much concentration is required to call a game for three hours, but to manage a game the way Larusa did it. And I must say that Canseco blew the hit and run sign, <laughs> and I gave it to him. I, I had the signs down. I knew the indicator. Hold on, he blew the hit and run sign, and he's hung up between first and second. It was his fault. And then Ron Darling, who was finishing up his career with the A's, he's getting knocked around. And normally in a spring training game, you want guys to get their innings in. He's getting knocked around. They're playing the Mariners. And I say to LaRusa, I think we could we should go get him. And he goes, you go get him. <laughs> now, I, I, Ron Darling's a nice guy. I've known him since he's been with the Mets. But he's not going to be in a good-natured frame of mind to see me walking out there. And the fans aren't going to know what the heck is going on. What is this, the return of Eddie Goodell or something? So, so I said, Tony, Tony, I'm resigning my position. You go get him. <laughs> what a great story and a great memory. Uh Bob, we are not beholden to sports here, so we'll accept any book recommendations that the great Bob Costas has for us. Wow, you know, I'll give you one sports and one non-sports. I just finished reading the book Just Mercy uh, by Brian Stevenson, which is what the film Just Mercy, which was nominated for many awards, uh, is based upon. Uh, Brian Stevenson, an African-American attorney, who specialized a generation ago in defending indigent clients, most, not all, but most of them African-American, who had been unjustly accused, sometimes with death sentences. And he was remarkably successful. So it's a memoir of that. I just finished reading that. And uh, I have a vested interest in the next one. Willie Mays asked me to write the foreword for a book called 24. Uh, It's 24 chapters in number 24's career. So it's not a straight biography. It's just kind of chapters and vignettes from his life. And I wrote the foreword for that. John Shea, who's a very good baseball writer in the Bay Area, wrote it with Willie. You think about people like Willie Mays and Hank Aaron, uh, Bob Gibson, people like that. They are they are our treasures, and they're up there in, in their 80s. I'm going to be around forever. And the stories of their baseball lives and the piece of American history that they experienced, that's worth knowing about. So those are two books. We appreciate the recommendations. All right, finally, Bob, what is uh, opening day going to be like at the Costas household? Well, I'm going to be on the Major League Baseball Network, I think, a number of times. And I'm premiering my new backdrop. I'm looking at it right now. You know, at the MLB Network, they have Studio 42. That's their big studio. It's like a small baseball diamond named in honor of Jackie Robinson. There's also Studio 3 for Babe Ruth and a Studio 21 for Roberto Clemente. For years, I've been saying to them, you need to have a Studio 24-7, indicating that you're covering baseball 24-7, and you'll dedicate it to Willie Mays and Mickey Mantle. Well, they have sent me a backdrop, which will debut tomorrow. Studio 24-7 is in my house with Willie Mays on one side and Mickey Mantle on the other and the MLB logo. I'm looking at it right now. Studio 24-7 with Bob Costas. I so love it. On, every time I check in on the MLB network, it'll look as if I'm in Secaucus, New Jersey. But thankfully, I will not be. <laughs> and, and over the course of the last four and a half months, we've gotten to know your kitchen quite well. 
Yes, and then people are going to be deprived of that because, because the big 24-7 backdrop blocks out the refrigerator. So. Great. Hey, Bob, it's great to hear your voice. Thanks so much for the time. We always appreciate it, and enjoy your opening day, and hopefully we'll talk to you during the season. Thank you, Randy. Thank you, Michelle. The great Bob Costas with us on 101 ESPN, and we have our next book, I guess. I think we do. He should be an honorary member of the Character and Smallman Book Club. Bob reads a lot of books. I think that he could probably review a lot of books that we're reading that he's already read. Here's the thing, though, Randy. Are we up to the level of reading that Bob Costas is? No. Because I imagine the further we would go along, some of the books he would want us to read, probably pretty dense. A lot of words I would have to look up. I probably would have to get it on my iPad because they have that handy-dandy look-up feature right there. Yeah, that's part of it. And I think he's probably just a lot faster reader than I am. I'm a slow reader. Uh, I'm I'm kind of in between, depending on the subject matter. Do you think Bob Costas, every day, does kind of a word of the day? You know how people do that to build their vocabularies? Because how does he have such a vast vocabulary? You have to work at that. It's not just something that you're born with. I believe that started probably when he was young, though, because that was one thing that I did with my kids. If I would be in a grocery store and they would be sitting in the cart... I would come up with a word of the day for Mm -hmm. them, and I I would tell them what it was and have them repeat it and give them the the definition. And they both have, I think, pretty good vocabularies. And I don't think Bob needs to add any words to his vocabulary. He's got every word in it, and he's brilliant. It helps to be really, really smart, and he is. I'm looking up word of the day. That's a good thing. Yeah, you can get an app, I think. Okay, so uh, the word of the day, this is from two days ago, but I just clicked on the first thing I saw, is requisite, meaning needed for a particular purpose, essential, necessary. And, Randy, I would argue that Cardinal baseball is requisite for our happiness here in St. Louis, Missouri. And thank goodness the Cardinals have fulfilled that requisite need that we have (laughs) with opening day tonight, 715 on FS Midwest. (laughs) And, by the way, we're here at the Budweiser Brewhouse, a top ballpark village and tonight is sold out here at budweiser brew house i think there are areas here at ballpark village that there might be availability but if you want to come down to ballpark village for a game during this 2020 season with the 30 home games make sure that you call and make reservations they're advising that because most places are going to be filled up at some point so you want to make sure that you can get in and make your reservation Michelle, Randy, Ballpark Village, opening day, and you're killing me, Smalls, next on 101 ESPN.